Okay, we are live. Let's do this. Good evening, everybody. This is episode number 73 of Sports Cards Live. Today is January the 2nd, 2020. I am Jeremy Lee. And before we get into tonight's show, I do want to thank last Saturday's guest, Dr. James Beckett. We had part one of the show with him, and he's going to be back on a week today for part two. So be sure to check that out. I also want to thank my after hours guest from last Saturday, Charles Hind. We had a great time talking about doing some data analysis on some uh, hockey cards before and after the Wayne Gretzky PSA 10 record-breaking sales from earlier or from last year, from December of last year. Also want to announce two Saturdays from now, my guest on the show will be none other than Carvin Chung, the inventor of Exquisite and the Cup, formerly of Upper Deck Panini and currently of GTS Distribution. I want to welcome all new viewers. If you're new to the show, thank you for joining us. I want to thank Josh Johnson, tonight's guest, for uh, bringing more viewers to the show. And if you are new, I would ask that you subscribe to the channel. I greatly appreciate that. It helps build the channel up. And uh, hey, that's what we're trying to do here. Also want to thank all the subscribers that are already there. There's 1,820-something of you guys. I appreciate all, all of you. I really do. And uh, I guess 1,900 is right around the corner. So thank you very much for that. I also want to point you all to the big three sports on Instagram at the big three hockey. These guys support the channel. They support the show and they bring some of the finest singles in the hobby to you. Follow them on Instagram. That's where they show most of them and give them, check them out. I endorse these guys fully. Also want to let you know tonight on after hours, you probably know this, but if you don't on after hours, two hours from now, I'm going to come back on a brand new broadcast with Josh's partner, Chris McGill of house of Jordans and also co-founder of card ladder. That will be later on tonight. And as always, your comments, your questions are in play. So don't be shy and we'll, uh, we'll get to as many as we can. I see they're already pouring in. So uh, lately I've been kind of losing track of them. So hopefully that doesn't happen tonight, but if it does, I apologize in advance. All right. Tonight's guest started collecting when he was about eight or nine years old. He's a basketball fan. He's a big Penny Hardaway fan. And that was the original, uh, target of his collecting. He's a fan of the Phoenix Suns and whatever team LeBron James currently plays for, he collects LeBron and Penny Hardaway cards. He's originally from Scottsdale, Arizona, currently living in Chandler, Arizona. We're going to Bring him out right now, Josh Johnson. Welcome to episode 73, Sports Cards Live. How are you doing tonight, man? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on, Jeremy. Hey, man. It is my pleasure. It's great to have you. So listen, we're going we're gonna to say hello to the, some of the people out there, but I want to start, uh, let's just start with really 2020. You know, there's been a lot of sort of year in review shows I've had in myself. So I want to do a bit, of a, a bit of a different take on it, not necessarily go through all the big headlines, but I want to talk about what can we learn? I mean, 20, there's so much happened in 2020. We all, we all know, we don't need to rehash what happened, but I want to talk about the evolution of the collector a little bit. And also, you know, wh what we should be taking from 2020 and applying into 2021. So give us your take. How do you think that collectors sort of evolved uh, during 2020? Uh, the biggest thing that I saw in 2020 that was necessary was like patience and discipline just because we got all these new people coming in, you know, we got the, the market exploded with the whole COVID thing. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of buying and a lot of hyping up of, of random segments of the market. And because of that, we just saw like crazy inflation and prices and then people jumping in to, cause they didn't want to miss out. And then prices plummeted on stuff. We saw this with soccer, Pokemon, uh, we're seeing it. We're going to be seeing it with golf cards. Like there's just all this new excitement in the hobby. And I think because of that, 
you're having a lot of people trying to figure things out on the fly. And so the thing that I'm seeing is that people are having to, to really focus and, and practice patience and discipline. So, and that, I, th I think you're right. I think exercising patience and discipline in 2021 is going to be a winning formula. But I'm, I don't want to say I'm concerned, but I wonder how many people are actually going to do that. We've seen the markets move so fast. The value in, the car, in our cards go up at an accelerated rate, almost like never before. You can buy a card December 1st, two weeks later, it's gone, it's doubled in value. You know, it's not like you're waiting two years, three years, five years for doubles. You're seeing it happen super fast. Do you think that that today's collector is going to be able to exercise patience in 2021? And 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 when you answer that, like the whole FOMO thing, ever ever I think we all have a little bit of FOMO in SA. I think if you say you don't, you might be lying to yourself. You know, how do how do you plan to uh, to manage that balance between like the market's gone crazy? Can it continue? Yep. We we want to learn from 2020, but balancing that with some FOMO because maybe the markets just keep on going up at at a, at a rate like we've been seeing. Yeah, I think the as a collector, I just I really like have cards that I'm after, and I'm not really focused on what's going up. I think I as a collector, I'm actually using the FOMO and the hype to my advantage to maybe sell out of stuff a little earlier that isn't as important to me, or I can use that leverage and I can leverage that into like cards that I really want. So like, for example, if I have you know, like 20 LeBron uh, Chrome refractors or gold refractors, and I feel like I only, you know, I only love like 10 or so of these, I'll sell 10 off and then take that, those 10, the, the profits from those 10 and just go buy one card that I really, really love. So I've been doing this consolidation game over and over. I think it's a lot of it, like taking advantage of locking in my, my profits from the year and how, how well everything is done. And then also like using that to get something that I really, really want that I feel is safer than the previous cards. Um, it's almost like I'm locking in the gains, but I'm also, you know, continuing to ride this wave of the hobby. And I mean, one of the things I've noticed is that like the rare stuff, the collector type cards, it's not like they're selling more. We're seeing those cards are still like being tucked away and people are like holding on tighter to them, even though their stuff is 10 X, they still aren't willing to sell a lot of those cards. Granted, we are seeing more of that uh, come out in like the, you know, the base PSA 10 variations and stuff. And like golden has had all these amazing, you know, cards come up for auction, but all the collectors that I'm around and the ones that I know, I'm still seeing those guys like hold that stuff real tight. So you mentioned consolidation, um, you know, you and I differ in in the in the aspect of consolidation because I'm like I'm just not willing to sell cards. I'm it's very difficult for me to sell my cards. I'd just rather take other money and buy a card. Now I, I recognize that you know maybe I have some money that I can do that with, and maybe some people can't do that and they need to sell cards if they're gonna buy new cards. That that is what it is. But how how do you how do you part like and I also want to mention that the consult, the theme of consolidation is something that, you know, I almost feel like you kind of popularized it earlier this year because I heard you mention it and, you know, you mentioned a lot and you've got a lot of, uh, a lot of followers on Instagram. People watch the crossover with you and Chris on, on Instagram as well on Friday nights. I watched it myself last night. Um, you know, consolidating, it sounds great. And I've heard other people talk about it. It sounds like a great thing to do, but how do you do that? I, I, I couldn't sell 10 Gretzky's to buy one Gretzky. It's like, I'll just buy that 11th Gretzky. How, speak to the collectors out there that like me, that maybe can't do sure. it or, you know, how do you, how do you psychologically consolidate? 
Well, I'll start by saying, like when I started the whole consolidating thing, I I really liked the idea, and I was I was pushing it on my on my content streams and uh, trying to get people on board with it. And then I I did get a lot of like pushback from a lot of people, like this isn't what you know, this isn't how you collect, this isn't how I do it. And I kind of determined it's more of a personality thing. Um, like it depends on your personality. Are you more of a collector slash hoarder slash you know you have to have everything, or are you more of a collector slash investor? Um, and so like the collector slash investor in me, which is what I am, I, I kind of see the value in having fewer cards that are more safe and more uh, like consolidated down to just a few that I trust more. Um, so that's just kind of been my strategy. And just like my personality is that I just don't, I don't like having a lot of things. Like I just, I just get really anxious when there's clutter and there's too many cards. And you can ask Chris about that. He's always got like stuff all over his table. And it just like, I just get really anxious when I see that. Uh, I just like having like 10 to 15 cards and that's just kind of my style. There's a couple other guys that I've seen do it uh, really successfully over the years where you, you see their PCs and it's always like just a few. And then what they'll do is they'll they'll pick off maybe like the bottom one or bottom two and then upgrade it and keep kind of moving upwards. Um, for people that are really having trouble with it at first, the best advice I have is just to sell something and kind of get that like ball rolling on selling things because I think it's a lot scarier than it seems uh or sorry it's it's a lot it seems a lot scarier than it's like once you actually sell something it kind of like feels good to get it shipped out and you, and you don't miss it as much as you might think depending on what it is but you know it's like do you like it or do you love it and if you love it you know keep it if you like it and you're willing to part with it you know so try selling a few things see how it feels and and kind of like get it going from there and if you hated it and you never want to sell anything again i totally get it it's a personality thing it's not for everybody I've stopped. Uh, I've stopped preaching it as like the only solution, and you know, it's just it's just another uh, tool in the tool chest that you can try out. No, that that makes sense. It, it's definitely an individual thing. I uh, I you know regularly over the years, I'll go through my personal collection. I'll sort of I'll call it. I'll I'll, I'll almost. So I heard someone re use the term um, "trim your collection." The other day, I said I said never use the word "trim" when you're talking <laughs> about sports cards. You know, you're never trimming your cards, even if you you know. Right. Calling, call, call is the word we should use. So I do that all the time and I'll take cards out and I'll move them from my personal collection box into my inventory box. But then I'll find myself kind of going through my inventory box and saying, wait a second, I want that card back. So even if I've tried to put cards out for sale, it's like sometimes I just bring them back and I'm like, ah, you know, but then also what I'll do is I, if I spend a lot of money on a card, I'm like, okay, you know, I just spent X amount. Now I need to go replace that money. And then a couple of weeks yeah. go by and I'm more or less concerned about replacing the money and I, I don't want to sell the other cards. So, but I yeah. guess I'm fortunate that I do have a, an inventory of cards that are not PC that I don't have an emotional attachment for that I'm able to go and, uh, and sell if I need to, to, to fund the personal collection. That's kind of been my approach. My whole hobby career has been, you know, if you're going to buy and sell, use it to fund your personal collection. That's what that's how I've done it. Okay, good stuff. Let's get to some of the comments. See who we have here. We got Paul C. Paul, good evening to you, sir. Joe Perot, one of my buddies. Good evening and welcome to the show. Let's go, hockey, hockey. Good evening to you, Jeremy, with the playoff. Beer. Yeah, I really. My wife doesn't like it, but I told her I just I want to see. I haven't had a beard in like four years. I want to see how gray I am now, and I see I'm, I'm the gray is coming in more than ever. Here we go, Jeremy. Yeah, playoff beard. Yeah, that's we can call it that for sure. DJ Lazy Jeff, welcome to the show and thank you for subscribing, man. Really appreciate that. Ron Dell's in the house. Happy New Year to you, Jeremy. Going strong back to back. Twenty twenty is done. Let's bring in a strong twenty one. Yeah, 
Let's do that. Let's have a great 2021. Everybody peeps. Good evening. Welcome to the show. ACL, David Gamble. Good evening. Tiger Jordan is here with us. Happy New Year to you too as well. Matt14K, good evening to you. Ryan O'Hara, hello. Yeah, sorry we missed you on New Year's. That was fun. Thanks for joining. Vegas Finds, good evening to you. Yamwax is in the house. Corey, how are you doing, buddy? Good to see you kicking off 2020. Right, yeah, I thought, you know what? I had Josh coming on and then I thought, wait a second, a perfect pairing for the after hour show would be would be Chris McGill. And then I can, we have a double feature. So we have the, the card ladder double feature, if you will, as they are partners in card ladder. Charles is here. Good evening, Charles. Roy G, aloha to you. Vegas finds the Suns are a good team to be a fan of these days. There you go, Josh. Daniel, good evening to you. Uh, Ziggy, happy new year and good evening to you. Canner Collects, good evening, good evening. 90s Hockey, good evening. Royals is in the house. Yeah, here's to a great 2021, everybody. Noah Fleischman says NASCAR cards have been trending up after its National Treasures release. Keep your eyes on NASCAR, guys, if that's something you're interested in. Frankie's in the house. Good evening, Frankie. Great to see you. Thomas Newman hits us with a super sticker. Thank you, Thomas. Much appreciated. Much appreciated. Good evening, Terry Fortune. Yamwax is piecing Bubba Wallace after joining Team MJ. That makes sense. And South Florida says, who just bought my Terry Rosier Starstock B for 60 bucks? Thank you, by the way. Right on, right on. Uh, Josh, there's a question here about your how to collect yeah. cards. You want to talk about how to collect cards? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't been given that one as much love lately. I still like keep an eye on it and I just, you know, I've been so busy with everything else, but yeah, I, that one kind of started with the same intention as everything else. Just trying to help everybody grow the hobby and answering questions and providing more content as much as I can. It was just like a different medium to be able to do that. Okay, so it, it's a, it's. I'll, I'll put the question up. It's Ziggy is basically asking, um, how much of an increase did you see in revenue? Uh, really nobody's business, but if you want to answer, I'll let you answer. Down, down. Okay, it was there less, you go. Yeah, it's just businesses are all about how much time and effort you put into it, and I put all of my time and effort into into a card ladder. So, fair, you get fair. It, you get out what you put into it. Exactly, no doubt, no doubt. Yamwax. Patience winning out during a participant influx is reminiscent of the online poker craze. Disciplined player made bank. Patience, as Josh was preaching. Patience for sure. Terry Fortune, Jeremy and I are the same. We rather hoard than consolidate. Yes, for sure. For sure. I, uh, yeah, it's it's tough to let go of cards that you love. You know, you buy them because you love them. And then, but hey, if you're on a limited budget or if you are that kind of person that doesn't want a ton of cards, I, I like the one guy on Instagram, uh, the P Ryan collection. He's got his box of a hundred cards and that's kind of a way to, and Adam does that too. Adam from the real 27 guy, he's got his top hundred cards. That's the core PC. Anything else is sort of extraneous and more for fun. I get that. My problem is I've got like 2000 cards in my core PC and like 2000 more in my sub PCs. And it's like, but don't worry, Josh, you could come into my collection and see how it's organized organized everything is. I can see behind you. It's very organized. I feel good about that. Yeah, you, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Rondell, I agree. Just can't sell a card. Haven't sold one in over 30 years. And anything I sold over 30 wow. years ago, I wish I had back, including the two Gretzky rookies you sold for 15 bucks. No doubt. Ryan O'Hara, I buy some cards for the PC and buy others for investment. But once they're in hand, I want to keep them all. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. Joe says, you don't miss it as much as you think. Right. And so I'll just say, I have yeah. gone through and sold cards before. And like, like Josh said, when you get into selling cards and you ship them out, the money comes in, your PayPal gets blown up. That's a nice feeling because then you can go shopping again 
and it is nice to sell cars, especially if you're locking in some profit, right? It's just kind of a good feeling. Yeah, it's kind of addictive to be honest with you. Like selling is it's pretty addictive. And then like I think it's more of the the selling part isn't like in isolation addictive, but the process of selling something, shipping it out, getting the money like you said, and then like on the hunt for something new. It's just that that whole like cycle, you know. I just I am addicted to that cycle. Yeah. Oh, and I think once you get started with it, it might be hard to get out of it or it could suck in even a guy like me who doesn't want to sell many cards that might, that's the, you know, I've been in the cycle, but then I kind of take myself out. And I also, I don't like, I love my favorite place to sell cards is at a card show. Cause you take them with you, you put them out, you deal mm -hmm. with buyers directly one and done. There's no returns. There's no feedback. There's no scanning. There's no shipping. None of that. It's nice and simple. I just get too lazy to list stuff on, on eBay myself. Otherwise I probably yeah. would run through my inventory a little bit quicker for sure. B Roy says, it depends on what you collect and why it's easier to part with it. If you don't have a connection, I had a Rudy, Rudy, I don't even know how you say his name, Pelu. Uh, that was an easy one to, yeah. If you don't, if you're not into it, it's easy to let go for sure. If you buy collections and you, you know, you're, you're buying collections, there's a few cards that you really love and then a bunch you don't, it's going to be easy to sell the stuff you don't love. No doubt about it. <laughs> I like this slobs base loss to put on his headphones. So his wife doesn't hear us talking about spending more money on cards. No doubt about it. Rondell says they're always making more money, but they are not making more vintage cards. True that. True that. We got lots of comments here. Amish Dave Archer, welcome to the show. Not the Josh Johnson you're used to. No, you you collect the baseball player, Josh Johnson. This is the card collector, Josh Johnson. Happy New Year to you, Rich. Hello, Michael Pinkerton. Welcome to the show. Tiger Jordan very much wants to consolidate, but is scarred from this past year. That's right. Let's talk about that for a second. The this is a good question. It's now the FOMO is reversed. It, it, well, it works in both ways. If I don't buy it now, is it going to go up too much to the point where I can't afford it or I'm going to have to pay a lot more down the road? But what about the FOMO of selling something and then it's going to go up and you've lost, like that happened to me, sold several cards in July, shouldn't have, well, shouldn't have. I took that money and put it in something else, so I'm okay with it. But what, what, do, you, what do you have to say to that? Can, can we time this market? Buy more cards. <laughs> <laughs> take the money and buy more cards like every time i've sold a card and it blew up in value after uh it's really easy for me to be like oh crap you know i, I lost that on so much money but then i think about what i bought with it instead and i'm like oh that one went up you know almost the same because I, I i buy similar stuff i you know i only buy and sell things that i enjoy uh so like stuff that i like flip or whatever is still stuff that i i like that i like i never i'm not i'm not like flipping you know cards i don't like or players i don't like I'm still always trying to keep the the uh, the process going of you know LeBron flipping and Mahomes and these guys that I like to buy. Um, so when I do sell it, uh, I'm usually buying something similar-ish and it's usually like more high-end than that one. And the high-end stuff has done really well in 2020. So like I feel you know I feel at peace with you know as long as I'm buying cards. If you're just taking the money, putting it into like some boring savings account, yeah, you you're going to be really disappointed in 2020 because all cards went up so much. But if you keep rolling it into different cards, I don't think you'll really regret it. I mean, yeah, so far. Yeah, you're 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 gonna just ride the wave on a different card than the one that you sold, which is kind of how I've come come to peace with selling some cards that have gone up uh, significantly over the over the since I sold them earlier on in the summer. Uh, Matthew <laughs> Benther says consolidating consolidating seems scary for me at first, but it helped me help me go from cards I like to cards I love. Yeah, that, that's a great thing. The other thing, like you said, Josh, if you're only buying cards you really like, when you do go to sell them, you're gonna feel, I think you're gonna feel better about selling them and you're gonna be sort of passionate about it and you're gonna 
the person you're going to sell it to, you're going to feel good. I never want to sell a card to somebody that I think they're going to lose money on. It just doesn't sit well with me. So if I like a card and I sell it to somebody, I think that that's it, it's a good it's a good sort of sales technique without being salesy. You know, you're like, hey, I'm this card's yeah. for sale, but I recommend you buy it. Like, you know, I've said that to people at card shows. I recommend you buy. It. Well, why are you selling it? Well, because I have one higher grade, or you know, I have a, a yeah. different card that I don't need, but I still would counsel you to buy this card. And it's for the only reason, because I think it's a great card. Brent Criswell says, as a fan, a new fan to hockey, I always love to hear you talk hockey and learn from you. Love my new passion, collecting hockey. Hey, great to have you in hockey cards. I, I'm glad to see so many people come over. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. I've been trying to share a lot of fun cards on my Instagram account the last few weeks. I intend to continue to do that. So I'll be sharing the nicest ones I find uh, that, that I'm able to share. So yeah, check those out. And great to have you, Brent, for sure. Um, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of, not continue because there's too many comments to go through. So I'm going to scan them, everybody, but we'll come back to them. I want to kind of get on to the next topic with Josh. And Josh, I want to talk a little bit about, now this is sort of specific to 2020, but I think we have to address it because there's a lot of talk and chatter about all the money that's come into the hobby through private equity yeah. funds and through the fractional ownership companies. And we can talk about, whether you like them or you don't or, or this or that. But what I really want to dive into is what do these participants mean for the hobby moving forward as you see it? Um, and what the, how are they going to in, in, impact the collector overall? Yeah. Well, for the collector, it's probably going to be bad because it's just going to make the prices go up on the really high end rare stuff, especially the rookie stuff, the more like the really iconic stuff. That's the stuff that those, you know, your 86 Fleer Jordans, your Gretzky rookies, your Giannis RPAs, your LeBron RPAs, that kind of stuff is what those funds and the fractional ownership people want because it, it connects with the widest audience and it can get the most people to buy the shares up of it. And if it's easier for that kind of stuff to be distributed and purchased, it's going to make the prices go up. It's just kind of the reality. That's just like the space and it's going to make, it's just going to raise the ceiling of all these super high end cards to points where, you know, a lot of us just are not going to be able to get to it and we're not going to be able to buy it. And it's just kind of the reality. We're already seeing that now. Like if your dream was to get a, uh, you know, Giannis logo man or a like gold prism Luca, you know, it's just not possible for, you know, the vast majority of people. And you just sort of have to, you have to sort of set expectations for yourself that like that's just not possible anymore and you gotta you gotta adjust you know it we can we can complain about it and say like this isn't fair and we'll never get that stuff but there's always going to be something out there that you want that you can't have and let's just say like for us even before this whole thing happened there's people out there that wanted a honus wagner they couldn't have got it and that's just sort of like moving into different areas and it's just sort of expanding and growing if you wanted the mona lisa painting if that was your dream you're probably you know you're not going to get that so you just gotta like keep changing your expectation of what it's feasible for you to be able to collect and buy. And, you know, it sucks, right? Like there's a lot of cards that I would love to have of LeBron, especially his rookie year that just like are just sort of fading away from me and they're slipping away and it's just kind of the reality. So I have to just kind of look at, you know, non-rookie cards or I have to look at more Panini stuff or I have to start looking at different players. You know, that's just sort of the reality of it. Um, I don't think it's good or bad overall. I think it I think it's ends up overall being you know, uh, just bringing in more people and whether you think that's good because it grows the entire hobby or you think it's bad because it makes prices of stuff that you want too high. That's kind of 
that's where we're at. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, the, so a couple of my thoughts on it, I'm interested if you sort of agree with my takes or not. Um, I yeah. think that uh, a lot of these big cars, like, so the Wayne Gretzky, the, the, we just had the Opeachy in the tops PSA 10 break records last month. The Opeachy sold for 1.29 yeah. million. Pop 2 PSA 10, the top sold for 720,000. Pop 2 PSA 10. The, the tops copy was purchased by Rally Road and they're going to be offering it for sale. Yeah. So now that takes one of those two copies pretty much out of the marketplace unless someone presents them with an offer that their unit holders or fractional ownership owners are going to accept. So, you know, it does, there's two things that come to mind. One is that car, is that card gone now, first of all? And that now means that people are going to have to look to the PSA nines if they want the highest grade Gretzky rookie they can find. Is that going to drive up the price of, well, it's going to drive up the price of those. So, you know, on one hand, it's almost like these, these institutional i'll use institutional to categorize the private equity and the fractionals it's almost like this institutional money is going to run the hobby at the highest level and then they're going to support because they're up there and they can't sell cards for less than they paid for them that doesn't make sense for their business model so they almost have to are they going to start trading cards amongst themselves one fractional to another and who's going to buy these cards at the end of the day Will a very wealthy collector come and buy them and lock them up, which I think would be what we want to see, collectors owning the cards? Um, that, that's kind of where I, I kind of think to myself, you know, what's the long-term play here? And also, you know, the fact that these sales are happening, they are helping to prop up the values of all the cards, which makes everybody happy that owns those cards down there, except the people that want to, that don't own them yet, yeah. right? So well, let me ask you this, though. Yeah. Would, was the was that pop to Wayne Gretzky feasible for you before the before Rally purchased it? Was that a card that you could possibly get? Not today. No. Do you think no. it's something you could have gotten if Rally didn't purchase it? Say again. Do you think that's a card that you could have purchased if Rally didn't buy it? Like no, the next no, not no, not now, not at this point of of life. I'm not about to put three quarters of a million dollars into a card now. Now you you can buy a, a piece of it. So like, you know, potentially the, depending on how you look at it, like obviously as collectors, especially you and I, like the, you know, the, the, the fractional thing just isn't going to appeal to us. It just isn't. Um, but for some people it might. And, you know, for someone to say like, I own a piece of the pop two Wayne Gretzky, best hockey card of all time. And if thousands of people can own a piece of it, that might be appealing to someone, you know, like you've seen those commercials where they're like, the guy is like a, it's like a dad and he's like a soccer dad at a thing. He's like, I own, I own part of Apple. You know, I own some of Apple. Cause you can tell people I own Apple stock. You technically own a piece of Apple. It's very, very small, but um, you know, it potentially could open up some, uh, some new, some people like owning things that they never thought feasible to own before. So you could actually like flip it that way if you wanted. Yeah, and I actually think the fractional ownership model is very smart. I think it's here to stay, and I think it makes a lot of sense. And a guy, a collector like me, you know, actually, I am. I don't have a problem with it, and I don't have a problem taking a few hundred bucks here, a few hundred there, and throwing them at, a, at some offerings with some of these different fractional ownership companies. It's not going to yeah. take away from my collecting cards and holding them in hand. It would just be an additional thing. Okay, yeah, I've got a few shares of the Gretzky, a few shares of the Mantle, a few shares of the Honus Wagner. I'd be happy about that. It's not like I could ever own them 
and have them in my own in my own possession. So I'm I'd be I'd be quite happy to own a few fractional shares. And the only reason I don't, to be honest, is because I'm in Canada and I don't have a social security number, and that's a prerequisite to be able to to play on these platforms. So if I did, I'd already have some. And but yeah. the key for the key there is that it to me it's not a it's not a like fractional or collect cards and own them. You can do both. One doesn't have to replace the other. It's just another option in the hobby, and it's an option that I think is good for people who don't want to own cards themselves, but want to get in the game. And I think where the, where the hobby is at, where the world is at right now, it was, it's a great time for, it. and there's probably a lot of people who feel that way. So no, a guy like you, not interested. A guy like me, hybrid more, but much more on the collector side, much more on the, the card ownership side. And then there's going to be some people who will go all the way there. So let me ask you this. What, would you buy any fractional ownership in any card at all? Will, will you ever? Yeah, I mean, I have a ceiling of like cards that I can feasibly obtain. And there are definitely cards above that ceiling that I will never own. Like the LeBron RPA 9.5 out of 23. Never going to own that card. I think it would be pretty cool to own a small piece of that. And, uh, you know, going into one of these apps and like putting down 100 bucks and saying I have a piece of it and knowing, I mean, I know the card market so well. And I know that like this thing is going to succeed. I, I I know it's a good investment as well. Like I'm not, I'm not an idiot. I'm not just like throwing money into some random stock that I have no idea what it is. I'm throwing money into something. I actually have a, a lot of information about it. I know what it is and how rare it is. So it's like, a like I can now say I can own a piece of a card that I never could before. I know it's a good investment. It's a win-win. And I think for a lot of people, like I said, you're just gonna have to change your expectation and set your bar. You're gonna have to readjust your bar of what's possible. So like you're saying, there's people in the chat saying like, it stinks, I wanna own the physical card. These A lot of these cards that are on these fractional ownership platforms are cards that most of us will never be able to own anyways. Uh, and if it is, then there's plenty of copies of other stuff in that high-end world. These guys aren't gonna have everything. There's still gonna be stuff available to us. So I think you just gotta kinda I just look at a glass half full and I, I try to like approach it with optimism, knowing that like in the end, it's going to be good for the hobby, the, the market overall. You know, if you think the market growing is bad because you just don't want prices to go up, that's one thing. Um, but to me, seeing growth in the hobby, seeing new people enter, making new people happy, seeing people make money on their investments. These are all things that I think are, are good on the whole. You know, there's obviously some negatives, but trying to look at the the uh, optimistic part of this stuff i like that approach man i try and stay optimistic about things too and i mean it seems like whatever idea comes out there's going to be detractors and people who poke holes holes in, in anything that, that, that comes out i mean this hobby there's no shortage of people poking holes at everything going on in the hobby and i think that's just the nature of yeah. people and it, it, it is what it is but you know when you really think about it and you you don't project it. You don't project your particular opinions and beliefs and, and style uh, upon the rest of the world. You can see that, hey, there might be some people that like these things. And uh, and I, I, I certainly see that. Um, there's Guys, I apologize the comments. I see a lot coming through here. Um, and I just can't think I'm going to be able to, uh, to get to all of them. But uh, if you see something there, Josh, that you want to want to the screen. Market manipulation, the market manipulation and sort of like the false inflation of stuff is kind of scary. Cause like one thing that I'll see is like, there'll be a high end collector that I know that wants a card and he'll want to buy it from someone. And that person who owns the card is going to say back to that buyer, the private buyer, 
the collector, the guy who wants the card, he's going to say to them, why would I sell to you when I can just go sell it for double what you're going to pay me to golden or to one of these fractional share guys who, you know, they're going to suck that card in and they're just not going to have any, they're not going to have as much attachment to it. They're just, you know, they're, they're fractionalizing or they're selling it, they're auctioning it. And that's that. Whereas that personal collector guy is seeing stuff. I don't want to say manipulated, but inflated in price. And it's just like, I'm never, now I'm not getting that card anymore. So there's, there's definitely that side of it, which sucks. Yeah, they're, they're definitely. And, and even at the lower levels, right? Cause the, the big cards are selling for yeah. more money. Like the LeBron, we saw Ken Golden sell the LeBron RPA for 1.8, the Giannis logo man, 1.9, the Mike Trout 3.8. I mean, these are, these are millions of dollars for, for cards and it has, impacted all the cards below them i believe i've seen it especially you know i follow hockey closer than anything i follow basketball too but i follow hockey closer than anything and i've seen what's happened to the other wayne gretzky rookie cards lower grade everything's gone up in value so it's you know if you were looking for a psa 8 a year ago now you're looking for a psa 4 and that's just sort of where it's at but i don't think that's the worst thing in the world because you still own a copy of the card and it's going to it's going to move with the market in the future, whether that's up or down. Um, and for people who have a lot of cards, this has been very uh, it's been a great year for your collections. And I think part of the credit goes to the private equity, the fractionals, the Ken Goldens, the Heritages, the Mile Highs, the the, the companies that have been actually out there selling these cards. You know, Ken Golden kind of was the original guy. You know, he was on the show a little. A little while ago and he he's you know in 20 cards were heating with vintage cards in terms of values and i believe with his marketing he's been instrumental in a lot of these um what we're seeing in the hobby in 2020 in my opinion is is ken golden purpose i that's what's happened and it's it, it, it's good for a lot of people. It's bad for a lot of people. But I think my really, when it comes to this whole fractional thing, it's not whether or not it's for you, it's for me who it's for. It's it's what's going to happen to these cards at the end of the day. And how is it going to, um, how is it going to uh, really play out? What's the final home for these things? I have to ask you, Josh, am I lagging on you right now? Uh, you were just a little bit, but you're back now. Okay. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Oh, I see. Ken Golden is watching. You should have Ken says you should have stopped at Ken Golden. I mean, come on, man. There's a you're you're not the only player in the game. <laughs> but uh, I, I like your your confidence. I like your confidence. Ken's on fire, man. He's he's riding the wave. Yeah. So um, yeah. I apologize if I was lagging there, guys. But um, hopefully nothing too terrible was missed there. Okay. Um, let let's keep let's keep going here, Josh. Um. I'm curious, you know, something that happened in 2020, uh, there's there's a couple of big eBay consignment sellers, notably PWCC and Probstein. And one thing that happened at some point in maybe end of Q3, early Q4 on PWCC's online auctions, they started to make their bidders private. And there's a there was a bit of uproar, you know, in chats, groups, that kind of thing. Um, the first reaction I had was, well, auction houses are private bidders. You know, traditional auction houses, you mm -hmm. don't know who you're bidding against. So what's so 
what's so bad about PWCC going private with their auction, with their bidders? Now, I, I do know what's bad about it. I do get it. But I want to know, I want you to weigh in. What do you think about uh, PWCC? And the reason why we're talking about them is because they are a big player in the hobby, mm -hmm. one of the biggest, if not the biggest. And you go private. What, why do you think they, what, what are they trying to do there? And, and do you believe that it opens up the, um, the market to manipulation? Well, what they're trying to do is increase the confidence in their buyers by not displaying who could potentially be winning an auction. Because if, let's just say everyone that winning an auction was a 5,000 plus feedback, there would just be, it would be what it is now. Like no one, there'd be no concern. No one would care. All the buyers would be happy. All the sellers would be happy. If we started seeing like 10 feedback people, zero sprinkled in, 20 the buyer's confidence is going to dip and they're going to think I'm not going to bid on this thing. So the guy that's winning is zero. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm out. I'm not even going to look at this. I'm going to remove it from my watch list. So from PWCC's perspective, they're seeing, okay, well we're, we're losing bidders and buyers because they're seeing who's winning these auctions and they're, they're nervous and they're just going to get out. So like, let's just make them private. It's within the rules of eBay. Other auction houses like golden and heritage have the same thing. Let's get on that level and let's do that as well. It's within their right as a business. And frankly, like the business has that right. And their goal is to make money. Who are we? It's the same for us people, people complaining to Panini for printing stuff over and over. Like their job is to make money. They're going to keep printing stuff. You guys keep buying it. They're going to keep printing it. We keep bidding on these auctions that at these inflated prices and we pay for them. Then like, they're going to keep doing this stuff. So like until we as buyers stop buying stuff, stop bidding on things that are too expensive for us, it's just going to keep happening. Okay, so that's the one side. The other side is, yeah, it does stink. Like as a as someone who looks at data, as someone who who uh, is co-founder of a tool where this is important to us, it's bad for us because we can't tell with as much certainty whether that sale was legit or not, and it's bad. Um, it removes transparency. It removes data. It removes information. We know less about what's happening, and we just see the final price. Um, so you know, again, like trying to look at it from all these different angles, trying to to be a reasonable person and try to understand why the business is doing it. They're trying to make more money. Me as a data collector, it stinks. You know, again, we got to move on. We got to adjust. We got to change our expectations and, and go with it. I mean, if PWCC went off of eBay and did their own platform, they would do what Golden and Heritage are doing. They they'd do the same thing there. They wouldn't show the, the who's winning the auctions. They wouldn't have any of that information public. Yeah. Yeah. I see. I see both sides of it. Um, I think, you know, again, Traditional auction houses, you don't know who you're who you're who you're bidding against, but eBay isn't a traditional auction house. You know, anybody with a pretty much anybody can log in or create sure. an account and bid. And I think what a lot of people are scared of is in the past you could see where there were zero or low feedback sellers or bidders. I'm sorry, low zero or low feedback bidders coming in and bidding in patterns that appear to be shill bids when someone is bidding up their own their own uh, auctions and you know. PWCC, Probstein, they get accused of shilling all the time. I see it on Facebook groups almost every day. I don't believe that to be the case. I'm not there. So I, this is pure speculation. I'm curious what you think. I don't believe that these guys are going to risk their reputation and their, their business in order to make a few extra bucks in commissions. I think where you might have shilling going on is where the consigner of the card who owns the card 
I think they are people who could conceivably be and likely do in some cases uh, shill up the price of their auctions that are being sold for them by a PWCC or a probe scene or any other consignment seller. So, you know, I think a lot of people, they, I see comments all the time, oh, PWCC, stay away. They shilled their auctions. They shilled their auctions. Um, well, what do you think? Does that make any sense to you that, they, that they're shilling their auctions? Um, I, I mean, again, like I'm in the same answer as you where I can't like say for sure. I don't, I'm not in those rooms, but like, I would highly doubt they would do that because like as a business, the thing that's gonna, the thing that's gonna make PWCC and probe scene businesses grow the most is to have sustainable, accurate sales over a long time and getting confidence in buyers and growing the market and having new people. If there's any, if there's a whiff of all this, like if, if they had any sort of actual uh, issues with this kind of stuff, like if this was like an ongoing thing where they have all these, this proof coming out of all this, they would just crumble to the ground. So they're not going to risk destroying their whole business over something like that. Um, so I think it's in their best interest for the long term and the actual growth over time to do things the right way, to weed out the bad bidders, to kick out the, I think, I think I heard that they like have blocked so many people that they're like coming up on like eBay limits of how many buyers you can actually block. Like, cause they, they'll have people that don't pay or, or they're shilling and they see it and they block them from their auctions. And they have so many people that they block that eBay is like, Oh, we got to figure out how to like increase your limits. So I know that they're actually going about it and trying to block people in that way. So are there mistakes that are made? Are there things that slip through the cracks that we all jump all over and get really pissed off about? Of course, every company makes mistakes. On the whole, I think they're doing, I think they're doing their best, and I think that they are trying to grow the business in a proper, transparent way. Although the hiding the hiding the the bidder, uh, even though you don't know exactly who's bidding, but the amounts, the feedback rankings that you can see is not exactly transparent but that one's debatable yeah i i, I guess i got to invite uh, uh brent higgins on the show and see if he can uh, speak to that directly at one point i've never reached out to brent maybe i will um I, hockey hockey says solution don't bid on anything pwcc and probe seem to sell well you know that that's certainly an approach you can take the problem i have with it is that they have so many awesome cards and i the, and not only that i know so many people personal friends hobby contacts of mine there's that send cards to these guys to sell for them all the time so it's like it's like sometimes yet you have no choice if you want to own a card and some collectors want to own cards really badly you know it's not you're not just buying a card to flip it and i'm ta not talking about commodity cards you can go buy a, a luca base psa 10 from anybody in the world but you want to go buy a rare card sometimes that's the only place to find it so you kind of if you want that card you almost have to buy off these guys once in a while so um and you know I'll, I'll i'll put it out there like i buy off these guys all the time pretty much and i don't have any issue with it but i'm also somebody who if i'm gonna bid on a card i'm gonna bid what i want to pay and if there's a shill <laughs> bid in there that brought it up a little bit i mean it's two things number one i'm still gonna be happy with what i paid because i'm not gonna overbid on myself and the second thing is, is that it's like, it's almost like a reserve. And I'm not, I'm not advocating for this. I don't want anyone to misconstrue my words. I'm not advocating for it, but it's almost like a, like a, a false reserve in a way that the, that the seller or the consigner is putting out there. So I'm not advocating for it. 
We understand that. But if I want a card and I'm going to pay for it, it's like, I would have paid that anyway. If it cost me, if someone shilled it, you know, that's just a, it's like, that's a part of the business. Now it's unfortunately, it doesn't matter if you're buying from PWCC probesing or anybody, anybody on the internet can show their own options. So it's just part of the game, you know? And, uh, you don't, you know, if you're not willing to kind of get in the arena and and try to dance around and avoid those those um, occurrences to the best that you can, and and maybe once in a while kind of have to pay a bit more because of it, it's going to be hard to be in the hobby. I think unless you're just trading with people all the time. But anyway, some some uh, interesting just, thoughts just there. Bid what you're bid what you yeah. can, man. I mean, if you don't like that Panini is printing too much, don't buy it. If you don't like that the prices are too high, don't bid. Yeah, Frankie says it really well. Never had issues with PWCC. Just set a price for yourself and have patience. Yeah. And, you know, and if you feel like you were shilled, don't go on Facebook and just say PWCC shills their auctions. It's crazy <laughs> to do that. It's it's the people consigning to them, if anybody. And then there's another thing that happens in the hobby. It's called price protection. There could be five other people that own that card that don't want to see it sell. Oh. For where it's at so they're going to go in and they're going to bid on it to protect the card that they already own it might look like shilling but it often isn't how do i know that this happens i've done it i'll admit it i've done it i've put out price protecting bids but the thing is if i win that auction i'm going to pay for it by the card because i think i'm getting good totally. value totally Does i mean dude sense? yeah 100 if i bought something for a thousand bucks and I see it come up a second time and I want two copies. I'm going to bid a thousand dollars again. Cause I know what it's worth. I just bid like, I'm not shilling up my first copy. I'm just getting a second one. I'm just getting a second one. Exactly. It's like, it, it makes, it makes sense to me. And, and it's going to be for a card that is probably worthwhile holding, right? I'm not going to do this on commodity. You, you can't keep up with the commodity cards. You, you just can't, but you can keep up with the rarer cards um, because yeah. there's, fewer of them out there obviously you can't buy every luca based prism to protect the price of it you're crazy if you try to although you know some people might try um <clears throat> vegas finds makes a comment reality is that ebay is broken flawed platform and most of its policy and mode of operation needs a major overhaul yeah hard to disagree with that vegas i mean there are so many issues there um the, the biggest problem i have with ebay is that when you look at their sold listings, which is great for finding comps, I know you guys at Card Ladder use their sold. Who doesn't use eBay sold listings? Right? If you're not using eBay sold listings, you got to start. But one of the biggest problems with eBay sold listings is that where it's a buy it now or best offer, regardless if the card was sold for a best offer, it shows as the big number. Are you shaking your head because it doesn't, or because you agree? Because it's terrible. It's like the I don't understand it. Like this is why Card Ladder exists, basically. <laughs> Well, and we'll come to that. But to me, eBay is putting out false information. They're they're yeah. publishing false, misleading information. And how do they not know this yet? And how haven't they fixed it? It's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Oh, they the know. They know they're doing it. They just don't want to fix it. They they can fix it, right? You can, there's ways to oh, find out what the card sure. really sold for. You guys a card ladder, and you guys go through that process on a daily basis to find out what a card actually sold for. So it's not being misrepresented in your data set, which I think is a great thing that you guys do. I mean, we can talk, and I just want to mention anybody out there who wants to talk about card ladder and the, and data and any issues you may see with it. We're going to save most of that for when I have Chris on the show later on tonight, but Josh is willing to take questions on that as well, but we're not, we're certainly not going to, um, um, you know, inundate him with that kind of stuff uh, tonight. 
But yeah, it's uh, eBay. eBay does need some help. And if they could start showing what cards actually sell for instead of inflating, showing inflated values, that would go a long way. And I, I, I can't understand why they haven't done that yet. So somebody with some with some uh, real pull in the hobby needs to reach out to them and straighten them out. Maybe they're the ones with all the pull. Who knows? Um, okay. Hello, Cardboard Max. Welcome to the show. Uh, Slob says, yeah, but if you buy lots of stuff on probe scene, they don't shill you as hard. So who's they like, who's they, you think probe scene is shilling auctions? I don't, I don't see it. I don't think they have time to shill auctions, but how anyway, you measure oh, how can you measure the difference of who shills more than someone else? It's spec. No, nobody knows what, who's shilling. You just don't, it's all speculation. And, you know, I've often made bids on cards, Josh, where, you know, I will chip away at someone else's bid. I'll bid $10, 20, 30, 40, 50. I'm not searching for their, I'm not searching for a bid so I can pull back a, a do a bid retraction. I'm just trying to find where it's at right now so I can get in my final bid and move on. I'm also notorious for bidding $99.99 because to me, if I bid $99.99 and then the next bid is a hundred, I now can set myself up for when I come in mm -hmm. for the uh, for the snipe at the end of the at the end of the auction. It's not it's not a shill bid. I think some I sometimes feel like some of my bids can be mistaken for shills, but they're certainly not. And I'm talking about cards I'm not obviously not selling. Um, okay, lots of comments coming in, guys. Really appreciate it. I'm gonna I'm gonna look. Josh, anything else on your mind uh, before we move on? Um, no, I I agree. eBay, you have a question later where I'm gonna talk about eBay more, but eBay has a lot of stuff they gotta fix. I mean. You can complain about PWCC, but a lot of their stuff is at the mercy of, of eBay. The, the one thing we can poke at with PWCC is that they are using the eBay tool within their power to hide the, the feedback. But eBay is the one that's sort of running the show right now. And we're sort of all at their mercy with, especially with the data. And it's kind of, it's kind of sucks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's change topics now i let's talk about you know i don't want to get into the um the headline itself of the psa being uh purchased hopefully that deal closes this month led by nat turner um uh, and a couple of his uh his partners or invest people within his investment group what do you want what do you want to see happen i mean i have high high hopes i have high high hopes for the hobby for psa because of this transaction I know what my hopes are. I want to know when you heard the news, what what first went through your head and what do you want to see happen? What do you want to see happen to P PSA over the next 6, 12, 18 months? Uh, the first thing I thought was this is going to be really awesome. I mean, <laughs> having a having a collector that we can all relate to, obviously like, like a much higher scale than than what we collect, but having someone we can relate to and and someone that understands what the collector wants versus this feeling right now where PSA is sort of this like very distant entity that we're sort of like, we can't really get our arms around it. We don't really know what their, we don't really know what their uh, goals are relative to us as collectors. Whereas with Nat, we know, we kind of know that we're all on the same page and what we want out of this. And the grading is just, it's, it's everything, man. It is like the number one piece to the whole, to the whole hobby. That that's what, that's what makes the values where they are. That's what makes, you know, rarity. That's what makes confidence in buying and selling it. It's everything. Um, and, and to be honest, like I thought PSA, I think PSA has been doing a really great job in these last few months in reacting to their two to three X increase in, 
in demand and having more submissions come their way, they've actually reacted fairly well. They've raised prices, which, you know, uh, uh, an average collector might say that stinks. Like, I don't want to pay more, but like they have to in order to, to sort of like, if they're going to get all this, all this demand, they got to raise the price. That's how it goes. And then secondly, they've added like scanning to their packages. Like you put the, you put the scan on the barcode on the outside and it scans and it like makes things faster. I've seen, I've gotten my stuff back on the higher levels a lot faster. My lower uh, tier stuff has come back way, way slower, obviously. Uh, but I guess what I'm hopeful for is that like, you know, Nat is gonna, is gonna kind of bring that collector mindset to PSA and like really bring the, the opinion of the, the general collector of what we want out of a grading company. And obviously like he has a very strong business background. So hopefully he can, you know, scale things at PSA, get more graders hired, get things more efficient, get the, the times, uh, to come down. I also want to see more transparency out of the company i always thought like where the grading companies lacked was like why am i getting a nine you know like i'd like especially on like the really high-end stuff if i'm paying two thousand dollars on one card to get graded i should have like a one-page write-up of everything you looked at how much time you spent on it why it got the grade it did what's wrong with the edges what you saw in it like a history of the card and i should be able to like scan a barcode on my psa slab and it tell me all the information on an app. It should like, oh, here's why you got that grade. Here's like, and then the buyer can like, oh, scan that on the eBay listing and be like, oh, cool. This is why it got like just total transparency on the grade, especially on the high end stuff. I'm rambling now, but you know, I'm excited overall. And I think it's going to be great. Yeah, no, man. I, I think it's, I think I, I'm with you. I, uh, I agree. Um, what I love about the transaction is that Nat is a collector. How do I know this? I saw him on your show two years ago or so when you had him on Cardboard Chronicles. If anybody doesn't know, Josh has his own YouTube channel. It's called Cardboard Chronicles. Check it out. He does these one hour long interviews with collectors and gets into their minds. And you had Nat on your show. Uh, I'm guessing it was about two years ago, right? Was it right after he bought the PMG Green Michael Jordan? Uh, I also interviewed him once before that as well, which is more of like a just getting to know him thing. But yeah, so you had him on the show. You, you you've interacted with him in person two times at least, and it was it was public. I got to watch it, and it gave me confidence that the person at the helm of PSA or Collectors Universe, uh, and I don't know what his role is going to be exactly. I hope it's I hope it's you know the guy running the show, but um, I doubt it will be. But you know, it gave me confidence to know that somebody like me, you know, not in terms of a collector is now going to be there and is going to look out for somebody like me because he knows what we, he knows our mindset. He's not just a businessman. He's also a collector. And that gives me great confidence in what will, what will come out of there. And um, I'm with you though. If I get a card back that says altered or min size or something for whatever reason, even if it says PSA two and you thought it was going to be an eight, like what am I not seeing? Give me a report on that, on that card. Sure. That would be, that would go a long way with everybody, of course. So definitely, uh, definitely agree with you on that. Are you seeing anything in the comments that you want to address? Um, yeah, I mean, they should be raising prices because the demand is high. That's just the reality. That's just the business. Uh, the fact that they're charging so much and they're not hitting their deadlines, it's terrible, obviously. Uh, but I mean, the reality is like the demand has gone up so fast, so quickly that they just haven't been able to keep up and it's, they're trying to play catch up. Well, here, let me, let me run the uh, comments very quickly here. 
Uh, Daniel says, agree, best offer, agreed price is frustrating on eBay when you can't see it for sure. There are some ways it doesn't work all the time, but you can still dig into the view page source data and search for the tax exclusive amount. And that will show you most cases what it sold for. That's what I use. Uh, Sam, good evening and happy new year to you, buddy. Great to see you. Bobby Burrell says PSA does not make rarity. No, it doesn't. Uh, I mean, that, that's an interesting comment, Bobby. Um, you know, rarity is, is you've got, you've got, you know, natural rarity and you've got manufactured scarcity, but what PSA does do is it tell, you know, it's rare within their population. I, I think that's the thing. PSA tens are rare compared to PSA nines for vintage cards. That's just a fact, but it doesn't speak to the rarity, of the card within the case. But interesting comment. Hershey says, I remember Josh's interview with Nat. He was complaining about the PSA grading prices. Let's see if it changes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see. But like Josh said, you know, the prices have actually gone up. And the reason they've gone up is to disincentivize customers from sending in cards that are worth like less than $100 because they they can get more money in their business by by having cards graded for higher prices on quicker turnaround times and higher values. And if they're at max capacity or, and they're, and they're obviously building out their capacity, that just makes sense from a business perspective. And, and if raising prices the way they do it and people are still paying, it's like, uh, I saw a comment coming in below from Steve Menzi who says, I'm not a collector, but from a pure business standpoint, why should grading companies charge less if demand is so high? Right? I mean, that, that comment makes logical sense to me, but it's almost like you want to certain. there just has to be different levels of service perhaps. And maybe you're not going to get a report when you're paying $13 to grade a $20 card, but you do, if you're paying 150 to grade a thousand dollar card sort of thing, and I'm just pulling those numbers out of the sky. Um, Carrie Bursa, or sorry, Carl Bursa, welcome to the show, says PSA needs competition more than anything they need for Beckett and SGC to start giving themselves, start giving them headaches and allowing consumers to have real honest choice. Yeah, but that just doesn't seem to be happening. All the grading companies seem to be uh, up against the same challenges right now. Frankie says, I agree, transparency is my number one issue. My number one issue, I want the details on the grade, not just a number. Yep makes sense to me for sure for sure i agree with that completely goes on to say if a card is deemed altered we need the details for what we're paying it shouldn't be a guessing game yeah like 100 percent. you shouldn't have to guess what how is it altered how is it altered show me where give me a graphic and circle on it how how it uh how it's altered yeah. i just want to keep going this one back to steve says they're charging an arm and a leg and making promises about turnaround times and not coming close to delivery, I think. Yeah, the turnaround times are a problem. COVID has certainly had an impact on it. They've been inundated with cards. So it's kind of hard to, you know, it's not really fair to completely blame them and hiring new graders isn't easy, but we know they're trying. They've added however many they've announced, what, 90 new graders, something like that, more space. So they are working on it. We can't, we have to be patient at this time of, the, at this time of our, in our history right now, I think so as well. Uh, and uh, this goes on to say they charge more money to grade more expensive cards when the process of grading a million dollar card and one dollar card is the That's same. Not true. Let's, That's not let's true. Speak to that, Josh. There's more risk on their end to grade high high cards. So if they like lose the card or they damage it, they're liable for that. And if they grade the card and it's later deemed to be fake, they're liable for that as well. So they're taking on more risk by grading more expensive cards. I don't know why Becca doesn't do something similar-ish. I guess they've sort of like taken on that risk and spread it out through their pricing. But PSA is saying, if you're sending me a million dollar card, I'm taking on risk by 
grading it, by taking it into our warehouse, by putting it into a slab, all these different things that has to go through their process, there's risk on their end. I would like to see, yes, I'm charging you $5,000 for the super expensive card to grade it. I understand that there's risk and there's insurance things and there's all these like potential pitfalls. But like, if I'm paying that much, at least give me a little bit more, like give me a, a one page write up, like I said, or a detailed report or something, or even if I have to pay separate for that. Yeah, even, yeah, build it into the price sort of thing. I think we'd all like to sure. see that. And I like your idea with an app uh, from earlier for sure. Uh, here's an interesting take from Ziggy. He says, my fear with Nat is he is a collector slash investor. He has millions invested in cards and it helps to keep the fire burning. Everyone is also so trusting because he is a collector. Yeah, I mean, I am. I, I'm also a, I'm also an innocent until proven guilty sort of guy where I see some people take the opposite approach, including sometimes the commenter on the screen right now. Um, you know, I like to give somebody a, a, a fair chance and, um, and you know, just knowing the mindset, I have that collector mindset. I believe that I believe that Nat does too, from my experience of seeing him. So I am going to continue to be trusting because he is a collector and because he didn't, he doesn't need money. He's not coming into this business because he needs money. He, he's a collector investor. And, uh, I think it's, man, I, I'm glad if anyone out there isn't glad, um, you know, maybe you're watching the wrong show. I'm not sure. Uh, Peep says, I would love to see PSA address the fit and look of their holders for soccer and hockey stickers. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's make sure that the, let's make sure the holder fits the card. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rich says PSA releasing grading report would be cool, but it would way drive up the price as each grader would need to be paid to generate these and the backlog would be increased further. Yeah, there's challenges with, with everything that we want for sure. For sure. All right. Anything uh, final to say, uh, Josh, in terms of uh, this topic right now? I mean, the glass is either half full or it's half empty, depending on how you look at it. Depending on how you live your life, I suppose. Yep, for sure. For sure. Let's talk a little bit about you and what you're up to right now, hobby-wise, besides just being a collector. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you're a content creator. You're also a, you're in the data business. So I think a lot of people here know that you, uh, you're a co-founder of Card Ladder cardladder.com. I'm going to throw that up on the, on the ticker right now, guys. First of all, if you want, if you're not already following Josh, 10,000 plus of you are. So if you're not though, you can follow him on Instagram, cardboard underscore chronicles. And then coming up also is the website for their tool cardladder.com. Um, here's a question for you, Josh. Holidays just came and went, you know, family time, we're, we're at home. How are you balancing your life? Cause you're a full, you have a full-time job. You're you're a, you're a collector like like myself. You obviously spend a lot of time dealing with your own collection, however, whatever. And you're being a hobbyist, however that looks for you. How are you finding the time to to continue to to build the card ladder business and have have your full time job? Um, I'm not. I'm just I'm <laughs> pulling time from. I mean, you can tell that like I've I haven't done as many cardboard chronicles interviews because I've put so much into these other things. I'm sleeping less. I'm up super late. I'm working at all random hours of the day and night. Uh, I mean, until you're actually a small business owner, you just don't know the stress and the time that is required to run a small business. That's just kind of the reality. And I think most small business owners would tell you that. And Chris and I just, it's just, it's a, it's a passion project first and foremost. Um, and it also provides us income. So we just, we have to find the time. We have to make the time. And uh, I do have a full-time job. 
I would like to be able to do card letter full time one day. And, you know, hopefully we're getting closer to that reality. So that would just open me up to be, to be able to do even more than I do today. So there's no secret, man. It's uh it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of, you know, five hour nights of sleep and uh, some with less. So that's just, that's just the reality of it. All right. Well, Hey man, I mean, I always say that, you know, anything you're doing, you got to start and then build it and build it. Even your data on card ladder, you guys have a database of cards. You're over 6,000 cards now, I believe. You started off with, I think, 3,000 when you launched. And it, it's a slow grow, right? But you have to you have to chip away one day at a time and build that out. And I know you guys are doing that, but, you know, that that's building a business, man. You, you start and you just keep on tweaking as you go and make those adjustments. So kudos to you for doing that. I want to bring up a comment by Ruben Montoya. I think he's talking about what you were saying in terms of you know um it they need to charge more for more expensive cards because they have more liability he says he doesn't agree with that that's what insurance is for well you're right and you're wrong ruben um you're you're wrong and not agreeing with it you're right in that that's what insurance is for but insurance costs money and it, the more the more you have hanging out there the more you're going to pay for that so it's direct it's actually directly correlated so you know i, I see your point but it is they do pay up. They do pay. Have to pay a price for their for insurance, and they also have to carry a liability on their books for future uh, issues. And there, there's money involved in that. Everything running business is not cheap. Any business, for sure. Um, Peter says, "I thought the difference between was PSA backed up the grade of a card and would buy back if there was an issue." And that there, yes. I believe there's some sort of truth to that. I'm not exactly sure how that works, but that is part of the reason why their prices are where they are. They need to cover their asses. They're not here to serve us exclusively. They're here to serve us as a as a hobby and make money. I mean, they're a business just like anybody. If you can prove that their grade was wrong, they will pay you for it. It's happened to me. I had a card where they gave it a PSA 8. I later proved through more information that the card was a counterfeit card it was fake they paid me the full value of what i paid for the card awesome okay i want to just bring uh carl says ziggy no uh yeah oh sorry wrong comment right here no wrong comment right here ziggy's right guys smash that like button already sorry i didn't see where ziggy said that but yeah guys thank you for hitting the thumbs up if you do if you like this even if you don't like this hit the thumbs up button i'm good with that too um ziggy says would any would you be glad if jeff wilson bought psa as you are about not anyone i mean uh, uh, no, I wouldn't be. I'll just, no, of course not. I mean, I, nothing against Jeff Wilson. I like Jeff Wilson. I have a relationship with Jeff Wilson, but I'm much happier that it's not, not Turner um, because I know more about Nat as a collector. Simple as that. Uh, Paul C, sometimes you just need a smaller glass. That's a fair comment. I, lo I love Ruben's comment here. Marcus Limonis should have, if anyone out there doesn't know who Marcus Limonis is, you're missing out. If I have an idol in this world, it's Marcus Limonis. The guy's a genius. Mm -hmm. um, okay, let's talk. Let's change topics altogether. Actually, sorry, no. We were talking about your life, your juggling your your professional life with card ladder, with family, and all that. Let's talk a bit about cardboard chronicles. I mean, that's you know, in my world, uh, Josh, cardboard chronicles was the probably the first or second hobby content that I came across, and I remember watching the early episodes. And there was nothing else to watch on YouTube that I thought was worth my time, hobby-wise. And so I had to go back and watch the same episode again. I watched them a couple, you know, and um, totally enjoyable episodes. Uh, what's your plan with Cardboard Chronicles? I know you're busy with the other stuff. Is it, are you still working on Cardboard Chronicles? 
Yeah, yeah, I am. I uh, as as new opportunities come up and in interviewing people, and I guess I would say that like I've sort of shifted away from like daily hobby news platform which i was trying to do for a little while where it was just always updated and like each interview was was pertinent to what was going on in the hobby at that time and it's turned into more of just like a it's turned into more of like a collector feature and it's sort of like timeless and it's like an archive of past collectors and interviews where you could just kind of go back and entertain yourself through other people and how they view the hobby and i think that's really where my lane is with that and i it, just based on my time and where I'm at with it, I think I think that serves me best for for that. And like you said, people love to just kind of go back and watch the old ones, which is which is great. It's it's almost like a it's almost like I'm a musician or something where like you know you can just keep going back and watch the old hits. And every once in a while, I'll come out with a new one, and hopefully, you know that that gets into your repertoire. I'm not. It's not like a news platform anymore. Yeah, and uh, hey man, you know what? It worked. It worked when you started it. It hasn't changed. I don't think. I think you've done a few shorter episodes, but. I think it's great. I hope you keep it up. Um, I see a comment. Adam D, got to get Jay. Go. That's me on, on Cardboard Chronicle. I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't say no. I'll put it to you that way. Uh, that's yeah. funny. Thanks, uh, thanks, Adam D. Um, so, Card Ladder, you guys just launched a Card Ladder YouTube channel. You're going to be putting out some comment, uh, some content onto the channel. Actually, you already are, I believe, last night. Today, Saturday, last night, you guys put out your third episode of what you're calling Sports Card Culture. I, I, I didn't watch last night's. I watched the two before. And the first thing that struck me about these episodes was the production value. I feel like I'm watching ESPN. Literally, that's how good that production value is. What motivated you guys to ramp it up to such a great uh, high level of production and make it so, so eye-appealing? Um, and what's the, what do you guys, what, what do you, uh, what's the goal for this thing? Well, as you can tell from Cardboard Chronicles, I had nothing to do with the production of sports cards culture. Uh, that was all Nick. He's on our team for Card Letter. That's Chris's brother, uh, producer, video editor extraordinaire. And he had a vision from the beginning to create that. And he's sort of, he's been the lead on it from the beginning. And, and the, and Chris, Christine and I are sort of just like the, the talking heads as it were on the show. And, his, his goal was to make it the ESPN of sports cards. And so if for you to say that, you know, he's going to be really happy that he, uh, he hit it on the head, hopefully. And, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be way more updated. You know, we're doing once a week right now. We'll probably ramp that up. It's going to be pertinent information that's updated on what's happening in the hobby that day. And we, we record them on Thursdays and we put them up on Fridays because we don't want any information to be stale. We want it to be up to date. It's going to be a mix of, daily hobby news it's going to be reactions to what's going on it's going to be tips for new collectors getting in it's going to be uh general hobby uh talk it's going to be kind of everything and uh we're super excited about it and we think you know for card ladder it really is like a good compliment to what we're doing bringing new people in and and helping them discover us as a platform uh youtube content is really the best way to do that and so we're hoping to uh keep it growing and have fun with it and you can tell from the show it's pretty uh it's pretty light in its seriousness and you know we try to keep it light and fun and and go with it i think we they're like 25 minute episodes so they're a lot they're a lot shorter and easier to digest and we probably film like 26 minutes of content so like the edit we don't really edit much out we just sort of like start recording and have fun with it kind of like crossover and and then nick takes it from there and edits it up and gets it going yeah, it, it looks really good. I agree. Great compliment to Card Ladder itself. Um, is it, 
are you guys kind of looking at it as a marketing tool for card ladder or just its own sort of thing? Yeah, that's a big part of it. And hopefully it, I mean, I've said this like on every channel I've ever been on every interview I've been on. I've said it a million times. My number one goal in everything that I do in the hobby content tools, the things I say on crossover, whatever it is, it's always to grow. It's always to educate and grow the hobby because as a, as a collector slash investor, as someone that has his money into this segment, the thing that benefits me the most is to have everyone in this market educated properly, growing, getting better, improving their collection, coming back, bringing their friends and family in. All of these things are what benefit me in the long run the most. So that's really what I'm focused on. And it's better for everybody else. If everyone's more educated, they're making better decisions, they're more likely to stay, they're more likely to have fun. Because as a collector, and you can say this, I'm sure yourself, this is the best hobby, the best like thing that we could possibly be doing with our time. And we just, we, we love it so much. We're so obsessed with it. We just want everyone else to see what we see and, and join in on the fun. And the way we keep those people staying is to educate them and to help them grow. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, 100, 100%. That's a big part of why I do the show is to bring players in the hobby you know i say that my my show sports cards live is it's industry insiders passionate collectors and content creators if there could be a fourth one i'll add them i'm not sure what that would be but that's those are the kind of people that i want to bring and share their insights their experiences with seasoned and new collectors because we can all always learn you know listen more than you talk sort of thing and i know sometimes i i do the opposite on the show but um I got a lot to say, I guess, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good thing though, man. Like your, your, your platform is a, an important cog in the whole, in the whole thing, right? Like every, every piece of the con every piece of content that's produced, every tool, every, uh, every person that's participating in the market has a role and your role is very important. And I think we just like you and I are, we're, we're ambassadors, right? We're trying to get more people in and we're trying to grow the hobby. And I think that's very genuine and I think it's awesome. Thank you for that. I, I, I agree, you know, in that uh, that's what I'm trying to do with my online presence, the the this channel, my Instagram presence. I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, and I'll put it up there. Here's my, if anyone out there is new and you haven't seen me before and you you, you, you want to follow me on Instagram, I, I'd be honored if you did. It's It'll come across the ticker here. You know, as a lot of people know, I'm a hockey guy first, sort of basketball second, and then baseball, football, you know, come after. But um, part of what I'm doing is I'm not a hype guy. I don't, I don't hype returns on investment i don't hype specific players that yeah. unless unless i think they're you know i put out today nathan mckinnon i think he's poised to have a big season i think he's poised. i'm not saying go buy his cards i just think he's poised to have a, a great season but what i will hype with 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 no apology is i'll hype the hobby i'll hype yes. the hobby until the cows come home as they say and i yeah. will i hype the it's like that's what i do that's what i do i'm a hobby hyper and you know, hopefully you like it. If you if you don't, again, you're watching the wrong show, following the wrong guy, and I'm okay if you stop. That, that just is what it is, you know. But anyway, yes, um, interesting stuff. Um, let's go to some more comments here because we got we got a few coming in. Uh, Yamwax says it's called the hobby for a reason because it is it is a hobby. I heard someone say recently it should just be called the business because it's all business, but. It, it's a hobby that has a business aspect to it. You know, if you, yeah. if your hobby is fishing, 
you have to spend a lot of money to fit. If your hobby is golfing, you're spending a ton of money on golf. You know, like no hobby is free. And I don't know, unless your hobby is spinning in circles, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> I'm sure there's some others I can't think of. Uh, Sports Card Analytics says, hey, Jeremy and Josh, what's up? What's up, SCA? Uh, Card Ladder Show is awesome. Thanks for educating and not manipulating. Keep it up, guys. Yeah, very nice. Very nice comment. Uh, Corey Carr, anyone started collecting Upper Deck Allure? Yes, I know. I saw I saw Vegas Finds talking about Allure uh, a few times before. Um, okay. Oh, sorry. Well, I put that up by accident, but I didn't think I was going to put it up anyway. Oh, yeah, it's kind of behind. Okay, Josh. Um, so card ladder why don't you for anyone who doesn't know give us an overview of what card ladder does what 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 is it i'll give you a chance to pitch your business well you're gonna get a much better definition from chris so i'll try to like give you the software product side so it's a software uh online tool for tracking the daily ups and downs movement and overall hobby uh going on goings on so like the prices of cards you know we're, we're tracking uh, prices as they change daily of cards. We're letting you manage your own collection, what cards you own. You can put them into the system. You can track what they're worth. They change daily with the card letter cards. And then uh, we let you you know, watch certain cards. Like if a card goes up over a price, you can get alerted if it goes below. Uh, we've got a compare tool where you're actually like comparing different cards on a graph and seeing how their performances, is, how their performances goes over time. We have all-time sales history of every card. Uh, which is important because um, you know eBay only shows you like the last three months. We are showing you the true accepted price of all the cards, so all of our data is vetted by Chris and team, uh, you know, down to the last penny. Um, and it's just sort of like at this point, it's becoming more of like a, a a culture, a community. Like it's just this its own like brand that's like living and breathing at this point. Card Ladder is you know like it's kind of how Chris and I view the market and the hobby, and we're we're sort of pushing for the the patient approach that I talked about earlier, the patience of the hobby and like trying to build a collection and trying to understand how the market moves to build your collection properly. Uh, there is a lot of, you know, the investing flipping stuff that can, that you can use card letter for that. That's a part of our tool belt. It's, it's not the main focus I would say, but it is, you know, something you can do. And then the ladder itself is really just sort of like a grouping of different sorts on all of our cards in our system. And like the main sort is our score where we, we just like track it's all data, all data driven. We're just tracking like the performance of the card over the last two weeks. We rank them uh, based on what that, you know, algorithm spits out. And then we've got many other sorts, like, you know, how is a card performing over the last month, over the last week, over the last quarter year, and you can just plot like these percentages and you can, filter and search and really narrow down into exactly what you're trying to find. Um, am I missing anything? We're coming out with an app. Like it's going to be, you're missing. Gonna be like, what, sorry. What you missed is my favorite aspect is the, the, my collection uh, aspect of it. Yeah. I think I've mentioned it super quick, but yeah, like my collection is, uh, you know, you're adding Cards that are in the card ladder system, you can add those to your collection super quick. You can specify what you paid, when you bought it, and then we're going to track the progress of your collection over time. And you can add custom cards. If there's something that's not in our system, you can add it yourself. And then once we actually add it to our system, you can merge it. You can link your custom cards value to a card that's in card ladder with a ratio. So like if you think if you're saying that like you have a refractor version and we have the base card in our system, you could say it's 2x so that when the base one 
value changes, yours changes by 2x of that. And you can keep track of your custom super rare cards over time through that through that model. Uh, I think that pretty much covers collections. Yeah. That one's like where they are most popular. I apologize if you did mention it. I, I sometimes get distracted by the comments. I went too fast. Yeah. Um, but um, you mentioned uh, you vet all the data. And I, you know, there's been some questions out there about what that means and what it looks like. So we're gonna we're gonna get into that with Chris on the after hour show, which is gonna start 40 yeah. minutes from now here on the same channel. So guys, if you kind of just got here, you got here late, be aware that um, I'm gonna be doing another show starting 40 minutes from now. Uh, and my guest for that is going to be Josh's partner, Chris McGill, formerly of, well, still of House of Jordans and co-founder of Card Ladder. And he's sort of the architect behind the data where Josh is more of the the the, the coder, I believe, if you will. Is, is that yes. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So Chris is the data and sort of the vision of what it, what it can be. And I'm sort of the execution of it on the software side. Right. So we'll get into some of that with Chris later on. So I encourage you guys to stick around. Well, don't just stick around, but we'll be on it. It'll be a different broadcast, but it'll be on the sports cards live channel. And again, we will go live with that right around um, midnight Eastern, which is coming up in about 40 minutes. Uh, I like this. Canner says I spent most of my golf money on cards this year. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, spending a lot of money on cards this year. That's been easy. Here's a here's a quote that I've heard many times from Josh. I believe it's going to make it onto a t-shirt one of these days. It reads, people don't like sports cards because they are good investments. They are good investments because people like sports cards. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I think Josh just sort of spit that out one night and then you guys tried to have have you maybe kind of say it again or, hey, can you, what, what was that you said? That was a good quote. It's a really good quote though. And it makes a ton of sense. So I'm going to read it out loud one more time. People don't like sports cards because they are good investments. They're good investments because people like sports cards. And it's how this is how we own a share of a player. You know, you can own a share of Apple, you can own a share of Amazon, but the only way to really own a share of a player is through their sports card, unless you own a sport, a professional sports franchise, which I don't think anyone here does. Well, you never know. You never know who's watching. So maybe someone out there does. Okay. Uh, Luke, my man Luke says, went down the rabbit hole on Kaboom cards recently and can't get out. Yeah. Luke just picked up a beautiful uh, LeBron 2013 or 14 Kaboom. I think it was the second year. Really cool card. Send me a picture of it. Congrats on that, Luke. Whoa, we're behind on comments. Okay. Well, we are coming up to, we're going to wrap up shortly here, guys. I do want to do the Sports Cards Live 5 and PC Card of the Day segments with Josh tonight. So we're going to do that. But I'm going to keep you for a few more minutes here, Josh. Uh, Ziggy had a question. I can't see it now, but I did want to address it. Something about, um, I don't remember the question exactly. Something about a quota, PSA having quotas. Um, are you like, I think, I think that I'm sorry, I lost it here, but I think the question was, does PSA need to churn out a certain amount of cards every day in order to make a quota? Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. And if that, if that was the question, um, do you, did, did you see that question? First of all, Josh, and do you have any take on it? If you did, I mean, I think each, I think each grader as an employee is responsible for a certain amount of cards getting graded in a certain time frame. Yeah, I mean, if it, so I get, sorry, don't know the answer to that. Um, Amit, welcome to the show. Says, Josh, you're definitely an inspiration to me. And I love the content you produce. You're, you've given me the inspiration to start brainstorming how I can contribute to hobby content in a meaningful way. There you go. And Amit's been the guest on my show several times and just a good hobby buddy of mine. So thank you for the nice comment. Uh, Amit, Jordan Hagedorn, welcome to the show. Also a prior guest of Hobby of uh, Sports Cards Live says, Happy New Year's, Josh. Thanks for being a great leader of the hobby with Chris, Christina, Nick, and the crew. You guys bring great analytical 
sensible and positive perspective to the hobby. And I'll underscore the positive part. I'm a positive guy. And, um, you know, I like to surround myself with other positive people. And, uh, you know, the, the card ladder crew definitely uh, does that and have great intentions in hand from what I can tell. Shareholder, hello, Josh. Do we have to pay every month to subscribe or is a one-time payment? This is for card ladder. And let me, let me also let you guys know that um, I'm going to be an affiliate of card ladder, meaning that if you subscribe through me, I'm going to make a couple bucks, which I'm very happy to do. So I'm going to put that in the description for this video later on because I have to find the link that was sent to me so I can share that. But if any viewers here do want to use the card ladder tool and you want to be a, you want the pro version where you pay, I believe it's, is it $15 a month, Josh? Yes. Or 150 a year. So there you go. 15 a month or 150 a year. If you learned about it here, maybe just wait a day and I'll put the link in the video description. I don't care. Go subscribe, whichever way you want to do it. But um, I am going to be uh, an affiliate for Card Ladder. And I want to make I want to make it clear to everybody watching. I'm not an affiliate of anybody that I don't trust, that I wouldn't endorse and that I don't believe in, and that I don't think is doing it for the right reasons. So if I'm endorsing uh, Card Ladder, if I'm endorsing the big three sports cards, it's because because I'm willing to attach my name and my brand with theirs. And I'm not, I don't take that lightly at all. I do not take that lightly at all. So um, if you trust me from what you've seen of me since I've been out here in the public space, um, just know that I do, I do endorse it. I do trust it. And I wouldn't have become an affiliate or be willing to become an affiliate of Card Ladder if I didn't think that there was value there. And if I didn't trust the people behind it. Very important, very important to understand. I, Jeremy, trust the people behind Card Ladder. I want, I want to make that very clear. I'm not just going to become an affiliate so that I can put a few bucks in my pocket. That's just a consequence of it. If anybody subscribes them through me, that, that's great. I, I really don't care if you do or don't, but if you do, you know, you can know in your back pocket that I do trust them. I think these are good guys that have solid intentions in hand and they're not looking to manipulate anything. All right. Anything else here? I'm going to go through the comments quickly, uh, see if there's anything else to bring up, guys. I want to thank everybody for joining tonight so far. Again, we do have Chris McGill coming on in 34 minutes, so we're going to continue. He's going to give us more insights into the data, and Josh made a good point. He talked about that they vet the data. That's very important, a very important um, piece of what the service card ladder um, offers, and we're going to let Chris talk more about what that means to vet the data that gets into the database because I want that to be clear, because I can understand how that can be perceived sometimes to, to lead to some questions. And I think we want to give him a chance to answer those. So let's definitely do that. Uh, we'll do that with him a little bit later. Uh, oh, here's the question. Do they have quotas on the number of tens they can give to a card or product? Yeah, I mean, that's probably insider information that only they know, Ziggy. And, you know, I don't want to speculate on that. I don't even want to put that out into the universe, because it's, it's, it's accu somewhat accusatory in nature. And I don't want to, don't want to do that. But, um, okay, um, Darcy of Good Buddy Mind says, what is the purpose of card letter? Darcy, I'll call you later and give you the, give you the Coles notes on it. Uh, and Rich says, 100 people, 180 watching, only 63 likes. So, that, so, yeah, guys, please like the video, subscribe. I appreciate, I appreciate all that if you're willing to do so. All right, Josh, let's do a little bit of the sports cards live five and there's a special banner for it right there so we're this is not a rapid fire question but it's five questions i like to ask uh, my guests question number one for you what is the favorite card in your personal collection 
Well, I have it next to me. Uh, people might guess, you know, that it's a LeBron rookie or something, but it's actually the 2009. I'll just read it. 2009 exquisite number pieces, LeBron Jordan dual at a 23. I just like the look of the card. You know, it's obviously like a high end card. It's, it's, it's expensive or whatever, but I just love it. And like the autos are just super blue. The hollow foil around the, the patches, the patches each are three color you know, the two greatest basketball players of all time on one card. I like the design. I just think it's very well done and very neat and organized. And LeBron's signature is super awesome with like the 23 inscription. I saw this on Instagram. Someone had it and I just was like bugging him for like weeks on end. Like, please sell it to me. Like I was just offering stupid prices and took a really long time. I had to like help him get a card that he wanted. And I like went through all these people to get that card for him. So that it was just like this crazy three-way deal that ended up working out. And I'm super happy about it. That is a beautiful card, man. Congratulations. Question number two, what is the highest card on your want list that you will eventually acquire? That one's easy. It's the 2003 finest gold refractor to 25 LeBron rookie card. I've wanted that card for three years plus I've just, I've, it's been, it's my favorite refractor design on any card. It's his rookie year. There's only 25 of them. It's incredibly rare, hard to find. I've had the regular refractor, which is numbered at 250, like six or seven times. And I love that. I just love it. It's like a nice action shot of him dunking. It's got a cool, unique pattern on the background. The, the gold version of it is just like super shiny. Like the surface is very gold and refractory and shiny. Uh, I'm going to get it one day, you know, it just keeps getting more and more expensive and getting harder to find, but one day I will get it. All right. Well, I like, I like the confidence, man, for sure. Especially with a rare card like that. So good luck to you on acquiring that question three. Where's your favorite place to buy cards? My favorite place to buy cards is, is from, uh, old collectors from people that, that know what they have and they take care of their cards. The thing I don't like is like buying from, I don't want to like pick on dealers, but like usually dealers kind of like cycle through cards and their cards that have been in multiple hands recently and they're out on tables at shows and the autos are getting exposed to light. And I just really like knowing that I like knowing where it came from. I like knowing who pulled it. I like knowing the history of the card and that it came from someone that, you know, cherished it as much as I do. And I have a lot of cards in my PC that I know exactly where they came from. And um, I ended up getting one of the cards from the <coughs> Puerto Rico collection. One of my LeBron rookie limited logos is from that. Uh, I just love knowing that it came from this historic collection of someone that like super collected exquisite. I just love that kind of stuff. It's, it's almost, it almost like doubles the value of the card for me knowing exactly where it came from. I dude, I, I so agree with you on that. I've, I remember being at a card show selling a Mario Lemieux rookie card and it was my, it was a personal copy of mine, but I had upgraded. So I was willing to let it go. It was a PSA eight and the person that wanted to buy it. I basically put them through the ringer to decide whether or not I was willing to sell them the card. They were happy to pay my price. That didn't matter. Am I willing to put my card that I've been, you know, taking care of for so long? I've been the custodian of this thing, the proud custodian of this thing for so long. If you're going to be the next custodian of this card, you got you, you've got some hoops to jump through if, if, if you're going to walk away with it. And the guy got like, what other cards are in your collection? What kind of collection is this going to join? You know, and uh, anyway, the person passed the test and I hope he still owns the card. If you could change one thing about the hobby, Josh, what would it be? Probably the dominance that eBay has over us. Uh, you know, I, I would 
in other markets there's other there's other competition like we, so we do have like my slabs i think my slab is doing a great job we obviously have like the one-to-one connection of you know instagram facebook shows and things like that um, but i think the hobby could use like a dominant sports card only marketplace um uh it's going to be a very difficult task to take on ebay and obviously like we need we need ebay for so many things we rely on them their data is very important so i would hope that ebay can continue to grow and make things better for the hobby uh but i think some competition would be good in that realm and just you know some of the policies around ebay i wish could be fixed you know like returning cards after a player has a slump and so you buy a card and a week later he gets injured and you would just return it no problem like some of that stuff really sucks um and obviously like uh not being able to like uh get some of the bad actors out having people shill bid like there's a bunch of stuff that i think on the software side as someone who builds software there's things we can do security wise to improve those and like stop it you know at that level as opposed to like manually as a hobby trying to pick out all these people which is impossible like we can stop these things with software and security and i think that would go a really long way helping out the hobby all right Good answer. Last question is: What is your big your your biggest hobby purchase or sale regret? Um, that one's tough because, like I said earlier, usually <clears throat> when I sell it, I don't regret it too much because I'm rolling it into something else. But uh, I'm even like embarrassed to say that I sold it. But the 90, 97, 98 Metal Universe PMG Championship, Metal Universe Championship PMG uh, Penny Hardaway. I needed money for my LeBron RPA. I, you know, in a moment of weakness, saw the price tag that someone offered me and I just, I sold it. And it's like, ah, it's one of those where like, after you ship it, you're like, God, I wish I could just. Ugh. That Unwind. Rewind that. Okay. Thank you for participating in the uh, Sports Cards Live 5. The next segment we're going to do is the PC card of the day. It's where I show a card that kind of ties into the, to, to my guest for the evening. So in the spirit of, LeBron James um, in the spirit of 2020. This is a card that I purchased early in 2020. I believe it was January, February. And I wonder if you have a copy of it. It's the 2003-4 EX Essential Credentials Now in a BGS9 LeBron James. Do you have a copy of this? No, I didn't know you had that one. Oh, you don't know everything I have. Damn. <laughs> All yeah. right. That's, a, that's some serious bonus points with me. That's awesome. Damn. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. I, I bought the card. It like quadrupled in value. And now I think it's come, it might, I, I don't know what it's worth, but it might have come down quite a bit, but it doesn't matter to me. I'm willing to ride these waves because I know over time, everything, the hobby, it always goes this way. It always trends upwards over time. So I'm, I'm more than willing to, uh, to sit on the card for as well. I'm, I'm going to have it for a while. I, I think unless I trade up or something. What's the serial number? It's out of 102. What, what, unless you don't want to share, but yeah, it's 59 of 102. Those are cool, man. I just, I love like the, the training camp jersey. You know, it's just like, or sorry, that's probably like summer league or whatever. It's just like, he's so young and man, I love that card. Yeah. I do. And I love, I love, um, I love die cut cardboard on acetate. I love that combination, like the whole credentials thing. Big, big, uh, big, big love for me in terms of uh, credentials and that. I'm going to throw up uh, Josh's Instagram and the Card Ladder website again for anybody who's interested. We're going to run through the comments, then we're going to we're going to wrap this up. And again, I'll be back on in about 25 minutes with Chris McGill, Josh's partner, and of, uh, from House of Jordan. So before we do that, let's run through some of these comments. Josh, 
uh, behind the tank said, I heard directly from my rep at PSA that the current backlog is in excess of 6 million cards. Oh. Yeah. That's a big number. Uh, again, it's hearsay. So we don't need, I, I don't put my, I don't put, you know, I'm not, I don't put total stock in it. You know, it is, we, we're, we're hearing it here. I don't want to put it out there as fact. And, but if that is the case, um, I, my, one of my biggest concerns out of 2020 is what happens is what, what happens to the population reports when these grading companies catch up and we see, we see what the situation really is. I think that's something people need to think about. Mike L says, Josh, you got to ask Jeremy who his favorite rapper is. <laughs> yeah, do it, man. Who's your favorite rapper? My fa I, I, it's Eminem, man. I, 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 I like Eminem. I like his, like, as you mentioned on crossover, his lyric, he's a lyricist. Eight Mile was a movie that I, I can watch that mile, that movie over and over and over again. And I just think he's a genuine dude. Um, Jake says, not a penny, i.e. your favorite card. Hey, it's, uh, it's cool that, hey, that, I'm sure you got, the thing about guys who collect, we have lots of favorite cards. Someone asked me the other day, if there was one card that if you could, if you had to only keep one card, what would it be? It's like, it's impossible to answer. I cannot answer that question. There you go, Jake. There's a PMG green Penny Hardaway 97. That's a, that's an amazing card. Amazing card. Okay. Darcy says beautiful card. Exquisite is always awesome. Slavs wants to make a trade with you. Super bad asks how much it is. King Brian Kingsley. Happy new year to you. Happy new year to you, my man. Cardi C. Uh, good evening to you and happy Saturday to you, sir. I like this comment here from uh, Carl Bursa says, yes, old collectors are great. They tell you the stories about how they got the card and all the great stuff. And that's the, the story, the provenance. I agree with you. Paul says, LOL, way to put the mental and sentimental, Jeremy. I think that's about when I was uh, selling my Mario Lemieux. Uh, Bobby Burrell says Facebook is the new eBay, although its market is so much smaller because everybody's reach is so much smaller, right? A group might have a thousand members. eBay's got tons of people. Yeah, so different, but um, but definitely a player in, in the game for sure. Uh, Cardi C, the oligopoly needs to be shaken up for sure. eBay has enough flaws for someone to come in and make some serious waves if attacked correctly. Makes good sense. Slob says you got to point things out and send them emails and they give you coupons. That's one way to play the game for sure. I like this comment. eBay should remove the sales tax. Like you just don't understand how the world works super bad if you think that's uh, if you think that's the the answer. eBay should remove the sales tax and then they would then they would be shut down. Like you. You are in the real world, right? Uh, Dexo, when I first started watching sports card YouTube content, this was the guy. Yeah, same here. Ziggy No says, ComC and Starstock are card markets on the rise in 2020. Why anti-eBay? They could put they could put C, uh, card ladder out of business. Interesting take. I don't I don't know that they could put... Anyway, Coldwell, Coldwell, provenance is so important in many other collector markets. I think as time goes on and the market grows older, the same will apply to the hobby. Agree with that 100%. Jeremy, always getting the top guys. Appreciate that. I'm, I'm always proud to bring people on that, uh, that you guys want to hear from. So thank you very much. Yeah, Ziggy's right. Uh, sales tax is a government issue, not, not eBay. And it does suck super bad. It does suck. But it's just the way of the world, man. Taxes and death. You've probably heard it before. Um, Dexlow, I hate tax. I've been doing lots of, of offers up on uh, my slabs because of it. And it's just a matter of time until they, uh, they catch up as well. Adam says, sick card. Jeremy busts out. Dexflow just got here. Going to watch this interview in full later. Sounds good. Dex sounds good. 
Um, Ziggy says, will these pop reports expose Panini for overprinting? How many is too many? I mean, the stuff's selling. I don't believe, uh, the stuff is selling. That's the bottom line. Uh, nothing to be exposed for. Eight mile. Yes, sir. Eight mile. There you go. Amity of Archer says, Josh, what would you have sold in place of the Penny PMG to get the LeBron RPA? And if you I got your Penny PMG to replace it? That's a great question. I would have found cash in my couch. I don't know. I, I would have had to, it would have gotten very interesting. I don't think there's a good answer, really. Fair enough. GLI says, uh, grading companies will never catch up. They will fall further behind because there are more cards produced faster than grading cards. Well, you know, that, that's one thing, but I, I, I do believe they will have a strategy to deal with this and um, just, just be patient. And I think we'll, we'll be learning some stuff uh, in the next few weeks. I, you got to think. Uh, people need to stop sending base cards in to reduce PSA backlog. That's it right there. Oz Card Dad yeah. nails it. Absolutely nails it. And that's why prices will go up to dissuade people from doing that. Um, Darcy, yeah, having a scripted stick, yeah, the having a video of Gretzky signing a card on the upper deck blog that makes it worth more to me, yeah. Knowing the story makes a difference in price, yeah, agree with that, Darcy. Native card guy, welcome back to the show. Native card guy was uh, active with me on the uh, we had a excuse me, a little bit of a New Year's Eve party here a couple nights ago, and uh, Native card guy, thank you for joining us. Tiger Jordan says, move to the tax free state, there you go, you just got to move. Native card guy hits us with a super sticker. Thank you, native card guy. Much appreciated. Carl Bursa, provenance is important in the coin world and can gather super premium in the right circumstances for sure. Oh, Terry says, or you ship my cards. If anyone hasn't heard of ship my cards, I don't know much about it. I heard that the owner would be a good guest for the show, so we may reach out, but um, definitely check that out. Terry does not give bad advice. Ziggy says, my point is if eBay fixes issues, then data tools lose value. eBay could open all data and provide free API, but not likely. The, it's not just the free API though, Ziggy. It's aggregating the data and making it presentable. Um, and, you know, sure, eBay could pro could possibly do that. And then and then a company like CardLadder simply needs to adapt, react, and move on. And I think we got smart enough guys that they would be able to do that. Uh, Yamlock says, Josh, which card is the young Jeezy of your PC? <laughs> Dude, what's up, man? That's such a sick question. Uh, <laughs> Yam Yam has a way of like, I watch I, when I, his comments are just they're, they're so smart all the time. He asks the most, yeah, Yam, you're 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 quick on the quick on the trigger there. Yam always are always are. Uh, nice. Card guy put up a 200 subscribers giveaway video with a Brett Hall auto that must be in relation to his channel, probably by the same name, the native card guy, cardboard nostalgia. I made an actual shipped card via Facebook marketplace last month, similar to eBay, but feedback is hidden more similar to Uber driver ratings and eBay feedback. Very fair comment. Thank you for sharing. All right. We're almost at the end of the comments here. Do you guys think the national will ha happen? And are you planning to attend? I freaking hope so. And I hope that the borders open up so I can get there. What do you think, Josh? Gosh, I hope so, man. I need the national. I don't want it anymore. I need it. We need it. We need it for sure. For sure. I met Josh in person at the last national August of 2019. And, um, you know, I can't wait to meet him and everybody else there. It's just going to be so much fun. So much fun. Uh, Alex says, get a PWCC vault. Oregon has no sales tax. That's a great point. I have PWCC as one of my addresses for shipping and you can ship them cards and uh, you don't pay the, the, the state sales tax that way. Pretty well. Then they charge you a small fee to curate it and then they'll ship it out to you. So that that works for sure. Uh, Dustin, welcome to the show, says Yam is the man. No doubt, no doubt. 
and uh, Brian Kingsley, Josh, congrats on the upgrade and new look of your show. Well done. What's the near future of the show look like? We kind of talked about it a bit earlier, Brian, but they're going to continue to do what they're doing. So stay tuned. Tiger Jordan, only way eBay is building tool service like card ladders if they buy card ladder. And hey, I'm not going to say anything, but a lot of times you build the business, hope that, you know, maybe to get bought out. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's on the back of their minds, but I'm not going to say anything more than that because that, that goes for every company out there. Um, all right, Ziggy says uh, there will be big regional shows regardless of national. I hope national too, but international may be a challenge and it just may be, it just may be. May go that route with PWCC. Very good. Frank DeStazi, Jeremy and Josh, if you guys are staying safe, one question, Josh, I saw your video with you and Nat Turner. Do you think that Nat Turner has one of the biggest collections in the world? I don't think. I know. He does. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Joe Perot, thanks for great perspectives. Nothing better on Saturday. Thank you, Joe, for joining. As always, my man, thank you so much. Go Bills. I love it. Um, okay, guys. Uh, Native Car Guy says we need more face-to-face -face contact deals to try to get us the deals, the guys that click the deals we deserve. <laughs> so thank you, Native Car Guy. I'm not, I don't know if I read that properly. Top Shot is about to catch fire for those involved. That's a um, uh, kind of a virtual uh, moment sort of thing. Uh, Items that you can collect, check out NBA Top Shot, Google it, you'll see it. Seb, welcome, says, would Josh accept if eBay asked Card Ladder to join eBay and do they? So, yeah, we, we, what do you think of that, Josh? Are you open to, to becoming part of eBay? I don't know about that one. All right, fair enough. Don't need to answer. It's, it's, a, it's kind of off guard. It's too big. I've worked for big companies. I worked at Amazon. It's just not my thing to work for big companies. You one big company is enough, right? Oh yeah, I That's mean, fine. Luke yeah. wants to know what does my shirt say. My shirt says "Buy your next card on Com C." My buddies at Com C sent me the sent me the shirt, and I put it on this morning, and I'm still wearing it. Thanks for asking. Um, all right, uh, okay, guys, uh, Ryan. Oh, where we go, Ryan Winters? Thank you very much, much appreciated, and. Guys that like each other give each other's deal. And that does happen on, on, on Facebook quite a bit, for sure, for sure. Okay, Josh, I think we're good, man. I think we can call it a night. Um, so I want to thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. Everybody's watching. You can follow Josh on Instagram right there as it goes by. And there's cardladder.com. Check it out if you're not there yet. I will be a, an affiliate of, of Cardladder pretty much starting uh, when I put the affiliate link in my the in the description for this video, either later tonight or tomorrow morning. So feel free to uh, to register for it through my affiliate link. I'd appreciate that. And if not, check it out anyway. Josh, parting comments from you, and then we're going to sign off, and we will be back in 15 minutes with Chris McGill of Card Ladder and House of Jordans. Uh, parting comments are just, uh, you know, keep doing this, man. Keep going. I think it's, uh, it's an awesome show. I'm really – I was honored to be on and had a lot of fun tonight, so – Keep it going. Keep growing the hobby. Keep bringing on these, uh, you know, big names to help us learn more about what's going on behind the scenes. I think that's, you know, a, a very important role to play in the hobby. So appreciate what you're doing, man. Love it. Good Thanks. stuff. I appreciate that, Josh. Thanks so much, guys. Couple of upcoming episodes on the ticker right now. Dr. James Beckett will be joining me one Saturday from today. So next January the 9th. And then the Saturday after that, I've got Carbon Chung, formerly of Upper Deck Panini, GTS, the inventor of Exquisite and the Cup. And so that'll be a fun conversation. He's got some great insights. He was letting them loose on the on the crossover chat last night too. So <laughs> definitely check that out. 
All right. A couple of thank yous, and then we're going to be all done here, fellas. Uh, thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul C. Happy New Year to you. Thanks, super bad. Great to have you. Thanks, Oscar Dad. Thank you for joining us. Dexflow, great stuff, man. Thank you so much. Brian, always a pleasure. Seb, Josh has to come back to Sports Cards Live every few months. We'll we'll talk about that for sure. Thanks, Native Card Guy, for joining in. Great to see you. Uh, good. <laughs> Where to go? Sorry, right here. Slob wrote down questions for Beckett. Come on back. We'll have Dr. Beckett on a week today. Thank you, Trading Cards. Really appreciate that so much. Dex says eBay bucks are about our lives. So buy soon. There you go, everybody. eBay bucks are released. Sam, thanks for joining us tonight. Good night to you, and you are welcome. Thank you, Capital. Thank you, Vegas Finds. Appreciate it, guys. We'll be back here in uh, 12 minutes with Chris McGill. That is it. Every up, uh, and thank you, DJ Lazy Jeff. That's the last comment I'm going to bring on. Good night, everybody. Thank you for joining. We'll see you back here in 12 minutes.